In the previous episode... There are so many things can support a healthy first line of defense in the innate immune system. Addressing nutrition is critical. If there are nutrient deficiencies, especially of vitamin D, the antigen-presenting cells won't work because the antenna that they use for signaling are vitamin D-dependent. Since vaccines are intended to mimic the way the immune system works in the presence of a microbe, a healthy, innate immune system is important for them to work properly. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken, disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. On today's episode, we're going to explore how autoimmune disorders can be managed using the power of foods. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. Most doctors tell their patients that autoimmune diseases are not reversible. They tell them they have to live with it, that it's a lifelong affliction and the symptoms can be managed by medications. I'm here to tell you that that's not true. As holistic and functional practitioners, you owe it to your clients to understand how autoimmune disorders get triggered and what can be done to get them under control. Our guest today knows this firsthand. She's reversed her own autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, and has helped thousands of patients to reverse theirs. And she's trained hundreds of health and wellness practitioners to do the same with their patients. And yes, it's work, but the alternative is grim. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Terry Walls. She's an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. There, she conducts clinical trials. She was combined to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. She restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain, and she now pedals her bike to work every day. Yay! She's the author of several books, The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MFs Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine, 
The WALS protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. And the cookbook, The WALS Protocol, Cooking for Life, the revolutionary modern paleo plan to treat all chronic autoimmune diseases. She conducts clinical trials that test the effect of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat MS and other progressive health problems. She also teaches the public and medical community about the healing power of food and a therapeutic lifestyle and the changes that help people to restore their health and vitality. She hosts a WALS protocol seminar every August where anybody can learn how to implement this. And she teaches health and wellness practitioners how to do this. I've known her professionally and personally for at least eight years, and I'm super excited to share her brilliance with you today. Welcome, Terry. Hey, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. I am so excited to have you here because you are always a wealth of information. You're always a breath of fresh air. And I love the way that you talk about all this and the way you teach people how to help. So we have an audience of health and wellness practitioners and a lot of other people who are not health and wellness practitioners, but just love to geek out on nutrition. And I want them to walk away from this episode feeling empowered that they're not going to be freaked out when clients come in with some sort of blah, blah, blah itis mm -hmm. that's autoimmune. And they're like, I don't know how to deal with that. You know, um, we can, we're going to have more. Uh, we know that the coronavirus uh, leaves a certain number of people with this uh, persisting long COVID. That is uh, activation of their innate immune system, a lot of fatigue, pain, uh, brain fog. Uh, and many of us have come to think that this is a prodrome for a systemic autoimmune condition. Now, some of those folks will quiet down, but unfortunately, many of those will then uh, be more likely to develop RA, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, multiple sclerosis, or any of the other neuroautoimmune problems. So the numbers of people suffering from autoimmunity certainly has continued to climb year on year, uh, and I'm convinced will be sharply up as a result of the uh, pandemic. So for, for all the practitioners out there, the demand for your expertise is only going to increase. Right. I totally agree with that. So medicine thinks autoimmune disease is irreversible. So why do you think that belief is there? And what do you say about that? Well, um, for a long time, for decades really, we've known that autoimmunity is some genetic vulnerability plus an infection that's probably acquired in the first two decades of life. And we have 16 different microbes that seem to increase the risk slightly. And then these other environmental factors. Uh, and so there's a lot of focus on, well, we don't really know what the cause is, so we're going to use drugs. Finally, uh, there's more interest and more research on what are the environmental factors. And so people talk about vitamin D, obesity. Uh, and I'm very excited to say that we now have several researchers, not just me, doing clinical trials of dietary studies uh, in MS. I'd say MS is leading the way because of my work. There are some more dietary studies in other areas of autoimmunity. Uh, and there are now uh, some animal models trying to do dietary studies in animals. So slowly, well, I would say in the last 10 years, we've made tremendous progress. 
You know, 10 years ago, I was condemned for my message by the neurology community. Now, in the last 10 years, I'm recognized as one of the leading dietary intervention researchers. So we've made a lot of progress. There are more conventional neurologists who say diet does matter. You can't be eating a standard American diet. And there's probably more rheumatologists, more GI doctors who are saying diet matters. Even here at the university, you know, I'm seeing more of my conventional colleagues agreeing with me that, yes, diet matters, uh, and they're sending their patients to me uh, into the programs that I offer to get uh, nutritional guidance for their patients. That is so awesome to hear because it's been so... It's such a, a, a dreadful diagnosis for so long that people are like, okay, there's nothing I can do. And to hear that the conventional medical approach, uh, people who are adhering to that are actually listening now. And you came from that, right? You came from a conventional medicine. I, I came for that, you know, and I'm still there. I'm still at the university. I still have my uh, a halftime uh, appointment. I don't have any clinical practice at the university. I, I just do my clinical research because I have uh, three active trials. I'm writing protocols for two more active trials. So we have a lot going on. It's very exciting. We're putting out a lot of publications and a lot of grants. Uh, and what is so interesting is that you know now I have a secondary appointment in neurology, and I you know go meet with the MS clinic folks, and we talk about study design and, you know, our latest studies. Uh, And they're very excited to talk with me and my team in terms of what we're doing in future collaborations. That's awesome to hear. So awesome to hear. And because it's got, you know, we know that, right? It's got to change. And so if you're leading the way here in the autoimmune arena, that opens up for, well, what else can be helped with diet and lifestyle, right? Yeah. You know, people with autoimmune issues have a greater rate of comorbid problems uh, of anxiety, depression. Uh, We have higher rates of obesity, high blood pressure, higher rates of insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, and atherosclerosis. It's not surprising because we know, you know, the um, immune system is overactivated. There's more excess innate inflammation. There's more oxidative stress in autoimmunity. And there's more inflammation and oxidative stress in mental health problems, in metabolic problems as well. So it's not surprising that we have you know, high rates of all those medical complications. The really exciting news, Rita Marie, is in my clinical practice at the VA, where I, when I ran the therapeutic lifestyle clinic and, and we used, you know, basically the diet and lifestyle approach that I use in my trials, we went to primary care, specialty medicine, and the pain clinic and said, give me your sickest people, the people that you're not really helping, uh, and the people that, that I want, folks with chronic pain and fatigue. When I was conventional doc, those were the, the worst people to take care of because I, I didn't have anything for them. And so I'm going to them saying, give me those people. Now, I'm not going to do drugs. We're going to be doing diet and lifestyle. You'll still do their drugs. Uh, and so we got a few referrals and had remarkable success. Then we got a few more with more remarkable success. And then the flood came. So I, I kept having to redesign my clinic 
to accommodate the number of referrals that were coming in. So we went from small group appointments to large group appointments to classes. And then VA central office wanted to know what was going on, and they came out to see what I was doing. I thought, oh, my goodness, am I going to be in trouble now? But they, they ended up really liking what we were doing and incorporated some of our principles into their whole health clinic. And that's when, 2017, I, I made the big decision of I should retire from the VA, still stay at the university because I wanted to keep doing the research, but then I could take on teaching the public and teaching other health professionals what I was doing. And so, you know, that's what we've been doing, well, five years now. Wow. Wow. It's been that long already. Holy cow. I remember meeting you right before your first book came out. Yes. And what was that, in 2014? 2014, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, and you were like a few months away from it, and now you know you've just revolutionized all this. And I don't meet anybody who doesn't who's never heard of you. <laughs> so yeah, my TED talk in the book had a major impact on the MS and autoimmune world. You know, and at first there was enormous resistance. Uh, I was thoroughly condemned. I was interviewed and condemned uh, on multiple uh, magazine, radios and um, podcast for the medical community. And I kept saying, you know what? I am very very clear to say this is my experience. This is the scientific rationale. And invite people to talk to their primary care team about eating more vegetables, meditating, and getting a referral for physical therapy for uh, an exercise program. And working you know, with your medical team. So I, I was very careful to put it in the context of, yes, work with your medical team. But we have a lot of research that meditation is good for you. We have a lot of research that vegetables are really good for you. We have a lot of research that exercise is good for you. And we can agree that more research needs to be done on whether or not gluten, dairy, and eggs are a problem. I agree that's very controversial. But I disagree that taking sugar out is controversial. I disagree that eating more vegetables is controversial. And so I kept saying that message over and over again. And gradually, as our research publications kept coming out, and they were positive and positive and positive, and our research publications are cited and cited and cited. And then, Rita Marie, the the thing that really got the university's attention was when donors would cold call the university to say, my life has been touched by Dr. Walls. And we'd like to make a, a donation uh, to support her research. And so we'd established a research fund. We had it up on my website. And we started getting, you know, really sizable donations coming in. Then the dean's office schedules me to come down and meet with the dean. I think, oh, dear God, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> what have I done? And the dean was saying, the university has never had people cold calling to give us six-figure donations to the university. Never. So tell me more about your story and what you were doing. And that really got me a little more support from the university and the their um, philanthropic arm. So I, I've been able to do a number of studies, very innovative pilot studies, because we're supported uh, through philanthropy. In, in fact, the study that I'm launching just now the efficacy of diet on quality of life in MS it compares the ketogenic diet, the paleo diet, and dietary guidelines for America for two years. 
in people with relapsing remitting MS. These folks, we expect that all three diets will be helpful, and we'll be able to show what happens to the brain, you know, uh, and what happens to quality of life, what happens to clinical outcomes in these three groups. This will be the largest and the longest dietary study that's been done to date. It's really quite remarkable. And this is remarkable because, you know, my, my protocol has been so effective and we've been able to help some people who have uh, the means to say they would like to uh, fund more important dietary intervention studies. This is awesome. It's, it's just such a move in the right direction. So I would like to hear more about, so our listeners here, right, as health and wellness practitioners, and they have somebody come in and they're devastated by this diagnosis. And where do they start? Like, what's the first step that you recommend? Well, you know, I always used to say, originally it was, you know, adopt the Walls diet, at least level one, uh, you know, stressing green leafy vegetables, sulfur-rich vegetables, deeply colored vegetables, sufficient protein, and getting out sugar, gluten, dairy, and preferably also eggs, although eggs are probably not as critical as the sugar, gluten, and dairy. I've stepped back a little bit more because my patients have taught me that the first thing I have to help them uh, is, one, believe that it's possible to stabilize their disease using diet, lifestyle, and self-care. And then we have a conversation that, you know, we have the diet component, we have uh, stress reduction, we have exercise, we have sleep, we have, there are many components of self-care. Which component are you ready to work on? And so when I put it back to them, say, you know, let's pick a component. And for some people, they're like, you know what, I'm ready, I'll do it all. And that's fine, we'll do it all. For the vast majority, they're going to have to pick one, and that's where we start. And while my preference, I think the, the biggest bang for the buck is diet, for some people, they, they need to start with stress, or they need to start with exercise and movement first. Uh, and then when they, when they have that under better, in a better place, they can come back and say, you know what, I'm ready to begin improving my diet. So I think it's really important that we, we listen to our patients and we, we can tell them that diet and self-care is going to be really important and can be very powerful. But whatever intervention we do, it will be more effective if you actually do the intervention. So oh, yeah, <laughs> if you are going to do a diet, you actually do whatever dietary intervention that you want to do. And so for some of my folks, it's like, you know what, I, I can't do it all, but I'll take, I'll go gluten-free. And that's, that's all I can do. Or maybe all I can do is the Mediterranean diet. Like, okay, that's fine. We'll start there. Or maybe all I can really do is I'll commit to doing a 478 breathing practice. And I'll start there and I'll do that right after I brush my teeth in the morning. So I, whatever it is we're going to do, I want to be sure that we pick a practice that the person can do. And the other thing I suggest is why don't you start with a goal of you, you do that four days a week or five days a week, you, you pick whichever number. And when that is good, you go up to six days a week. And when, that, and when that is good, you try and get to seven days a week. And when it's good at seven days a week, we'll add another practice or go to the next level. 
so, because I want people to be successful. Yeah, and and it is a slow process if you do it that way, but the the adherence to the protocols is going to be much better. Correct. Now, I, I am open to saying, now, if you, if you want to hear everything you can do and you want to do it all, and you're in a place where you and your family can remove the temptations from your environment for the things that you've decided to remove from your life, and you want to go down that path, I'm more than happy to support you down that path. Um, but I realize that's really hard, and if we need a, a slower path, we'll do that for you. You know, here's the thing. For me, if, if I said, you suddenly have this disease, right? Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or MS. I'm like, tell me everything I need to do. I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to wait six weeks to get this under control. But there's different types of people that we work with. Yes. Um, so that's where you go. Now, okay. So I'm going to ask this question. It's kind of a leading question, but um, or maybe, I don't know if it's a leading is the right word, but I want to ask this question. So there's so many people now, they've been to summits, they've been to this, they've been to that, and they've uh. already removed gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, sugar. They've already removed all that stuff, and they're meditating. How do you approach them? Well, so now we have someone who has a complex chronic health problem, and they tell me that I have eliminated all these things. I'm meditating, I'm doing some yoga, and I still feel terrible. So we can do a more careful diet history. I also like to do a, a gluten detection kit for them, uh, in the, preferably their stool. Glutenostics ha has a very nice kit. You can do urine or stool. What, what I like about that is people may think that they're gluten-free, but it shows up in their poop. And now I have a conversation like, okay, well, it's in your poop, so somewhere you're being contaminated. And is it your medication, your supplements? Is it your personal care products? Is it the gluten-free processed food products that you're buying, 20% of which, by the way, still have detectable gluten? Is it the restaurant food that you're eating that you think is gluten-free, but 40% of that still has gluten in it? So... That can be really very illuminating. So I have a number of folks who think like, you know, fatigue, I, I'm doing my diet perfect, but they still have gluten in. And, and then they're like, then that we get them curious as to where's the contamination. Then I can look at, are there other uh, stressors in their life that we should be talking about? Uh, family stressors, uh, financial stressors, work stressors. Do we have to talk about forgiveness? Yeah, I, I can talk about my own life that, like many people, I made some poor choices as a young person, and I deeply regretted some of my choices and felt a lot of self-loathing over those choices for a decade. And I'm sure that self-loathing accelerated my inflammation, my disease processes, and uh, it wasn't actually until I had my son, I realized all those mistakes that I made, all those decisions that I made in my life before my son was born, had to happen exactly as they did for him to happen. I finally forgave myself for being young and foolish. So I tell that story, and that story elicited so many tears, because many of us, 
we have people we have to forgive. Sometimes it's ourselves, often it's ourselves. Sometimes it's other people that that we're we're going to have to forgive and let go. Uh, uh, Yeah, and so that might be uh, part of what's going on. Or, or I may tell them that look, you you have a more much more complicated case, and if you have the resources, we should do further investigations of your hormones, of your toxin exposures, of your nutrition, uh, of your metabolic pathways, so I could provide a much more precise recommendation. Because, and I wrote my book, and it's a wonderful roadmap to begin, but. We're all unique, and so it, it will get you started. If it doesn't get you the results that you're hoping for, then we need further personalization with a skilled practitioner such as yourself or myself or any of the people that, that you've trained, Rita Marie, who can understand the person's health history more thoroughly, their environmental factors more thoroughly, and then determine, uh, do we should we investigate with uh, more diagnostics so we could really personalize the intervention? You know, and I'll make the observation that we have people who work with us um, and have come to my seminar every year who have genetic disorders, muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis, genetic disorders that will complicate their lives forever. But they have identified that by following the concepts I teach in the Walls Protocol in our seminar, that they have a better quality of life. They have more energy. They have greater function. Uh, And that their physicians say, man, whatever you're doing, keep it up, because it is making a huge difference. And those are the things that we truly think, oh, yeah, that's irreversible, muscular dystrophy. There's very few genetic disorders, really. There's things that affect our ability to handle toxicity. There's things that predispose us to specific diseases. But things like that, you know, they generally, if you have those genes, you're going to have that disease. But to hear that this approach to the diet and maximizing their nutrition and minimizing their stress and doing all these things makes a difference in quality of life. May not cure the disease, but it's going to have them be living a longer and healthier life as a result. And of course, to you and I, and to everyone who's listening here, this makes perfect sense, that if you have a terrible diet, high stress, no exercise, that you will be inflamed and you will have a weaker body and you will accelerate whatever disease processes you have going on. So of course it makes sense that whatever your underlying health conditions are, we would anticipate a higher quality of life and improved function if we address all of the self-care routines that are, are, are part of the toolkit that you and I use. Yeah, and, and what I love about it is, is it is the self-care. And you're not starting out with like a lot of functional medicine doctors, and no, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about it, but they start out with $1,000 worth of lab tests. And I'm like, but did you ask them about their diet? They fix their diet first and then do the lab tests if they're not responding because yeah. so many of them just, they need this basic starting point. I call it the foundations of good health. And they need the basic starting point. And then you can, okay, this isn't working. Let's look for the gluten. Oh, I have not heard of that test. I'll check it out. But 
let's look at it. Let's look at the gluten exposures. Let's look, are there some weird chemical sensitivities to the foods, uh, salicylates, oxalates, whatever. But that's not the first step. The first step is the obvious. And and tell us a little bit more about your diet, because I know when I mentioned to people they should be eating 12 servings of vegetables a day, they like freak out, like, how am I going to do that? So, um, and I want to remind people, so I'd been a vegetarian about 20 years. I was diagnosed with MS, uh, saw my neurologist. A couple years into it, she mentioned the work at Ashton Embry, who got me turned into uh, Lauren Cordain. So I, I read the paleo books. And after a lot of prayer and meditation, I went back to eating meat. I continued to decline, even though I'd given up dairy, grains, legumes, you know, gradually reintroduced meat you know, back into my diet. But I thought, you know, I, this might take several years to stop the damage. So I was still paleo five years, four years into a reclining wheelchair, reading the basic science, discovering functional medicine, had a, a list of supplements I was using, slowed my decline. Then I had this really big aha in, in the summer of 07, like what if I redesigned my paleo diet based on all the science I've been reading? And so I did that and it was stunningly fast how, how rapidly things changed for me. At first, I just had lists of foods that I was eating. But then when I began teaching this to my veteran patients, I realized I had to make a set of easily remembered rules for them so I could teach it and they could remember it. So it looks like this. We add in the good food first. And it's three cups of leafy greens, three cups of sulfur-rich in the cabbage, onion, mushroom family, and three cups of deeply colored like carrots, beets, berries. So that's nine cups of fruits and vegetables. And my vets would say, like, is that per week or month? (laughs) I know. Oh, that's every hour. No, 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 that's per day. (laughs) Every day. That down. And and then we want to be sure that we have protein. Then I sort out, are they a vegetarian or the meat eater? And we'd have strategies for meat eaters and strategies for vegetarians. Uh, And after they got their nine cups of vegetables in, then the next time I saw them, then we'd talk about getting rid of the sugar, getting rid of the processed foods, getting rid of gluten and dairy. And I encourage them to also take eggs out uh, for at least a month and then put the eggs back in to see if eggs were a problem. And I would have a conversation like, ideally, you take the gluten and dairy out for three to six months before testing to see if you can tolerate it. If that feels too long, what's a length of time that you'd be open to trying? And I could typically get them to do at least two weeks and say, okay, after two weeks, then you decide, are you feeling better or not? And if you're not feeling better, you know, have the gluten and dairy. And then when I see you again, tell me how it went. It it is very helpful to to let them, first you add in the good food and have that get under control. Then you take away the foods I think are problematic. Let them decide, when, what the start date is, and how long they're going to have the food out before they test putting it back in. And I'd say, you're, you're the principal investigator of this experiment, so do a good job, and let's pick a, a start time. We'll put that in the chart here, and then when I see you next, you'll report back on your experiment. It is so similar to the approach I take, only I've been doing 12 cups. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think uh, 12 is marvelous. But nine um, is more doable. Uh, uh, nine yeah. is good. And 
with my ladies, I, I acknowledge that if you're very petite, you might not be able to get nine in. If you are uh, a big guy, m- nine may not be enough that we're going to need more. But nine is a great place to start because then you have three, three, and three. And the goal is for you to not be hungry. So if you're still hungry, eat more vegetables, <laughs> insufficient protein. There's no need to be hungry. There's also no need to stuff yourself beyond what you can comfortably consume. So, you know, in some of our studies, we have four foot, eight inch, very petite ladies. And, you know, they were probably more in the five to six cups of vegetables in a day. And, and I assured them that that was fine. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, they can always add more, right? You always look and say, look, you're making this much progress, but let's try. Let's try adding another yeah. cup of each of these categories of vegetables and go. So do you talk to them about fats? What do you say about fats? Because there's so much controversy about fats well, these days. It was really interesting. So I, I did that study, uh, low-fat uh, diet, the Swank diet versus the Walls diet. And what we were able to show is both diets were helpful. The Walls diet was more helpful than the Swank diet. But the Swank diet was also helpful. Now, it's interesting. We measured the diet quality in both groups. And we know the usual diet is such terrible, terrible diets, one and a half servings of vegetables a day. Uh, we're, we're missing all sorts of mineral and vitamin uh, requirements at the usual diet. And in the Swank diet, the low-fat diet, we asked them to have four whole grain servings, four servings of vegetables, and no more than 15 grams of saturated fat. And so if they were having meat, uh, that would have been uh, poultry or white fish, or of course they could have had uh, grains and legumes uh, for their protein. That's like a teaspoon of, uh, of saturated fat, teaspoon of, of ghee a day or, or butter a day, 10 teaspoons of uh, olive oil uh, or vegetable oils in a day. That's the low fat? Uh, that, was the, that was the low fat diet. Okay. That doesn't sound so low fat to me. I mean, I think about uh, low fat, I think of like the Esselstein diet or people like that who are well, like super low. <laughs> so they did fairly well. Uh, they had reduced fatigue, uh, improved quality of life. Now, the Walls group, we had nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day uh, and two palm-sized servings of uh, fish or uh, meat a day. And we encouraged uh, olive oil. We uh, encouraged if you were going to fry your food to use a saturated fat. Uh, but we, gems, we wanted lots of olive oil, but we wanted the olive oil used cold. My, my perspective is that we need to have plenty of omega-3, omega-6 fats. Uh, you need both. You need about uh, closer to a 4 to 1, that's 4 omega-6s to every 1 omega-3s. Uh, that's the optimal ratio uh, in terms of brain health, in terms of neurotransmitter formation. For, autoimmune, for uh, RA, it's probably a little closer to 2 to 1. Uh, so there's a little bit of nuance uh, in terms of your underlying autoimmunity uh, condition. So I, I think we look at a number of studies that have looked at fish oil replacement. It certainly looks like that's beneficial for MS patients, for RA patients, for inflammatory bowel disease patients. So supplementing with, with fish oil to help dr- drive up the omega-3s and then to talk to people about reducing their omega-6 consumption. Uh, and so 
a, a huge first step is to get rid of the processed foods, get rid of the fast foods. That'll also reduce your trans fats. It'll reduce your um, glycemic index of the food you're eating. It'll improve your blood sugar control. And then the, the other thing that we do is we give people some resources so they can do a better job of preparing meals at home that are efficient in terms of time, learning how to meal plan, shop, make skillet meals, make salads uh, to go if you're still going into the office, you know, to make it easier to uh, have this be more sustainable. Awesome. And that's what people need, right? Because it's so easy to stop on the way home from work and get the takeout meals, and that's what's killing them, basically. So to give people ways to do it, that's easy, because there's a lot of really gourmet-type stuff you can make, but I'm a big fan of the five-minute meal prep. You know, I I think we have to be mindful that people have a lot of time pressure, Uh, uh, plus they're exhausted, they're fatigued. Uh, And so finding a way to make this easier to manage financially and to manage time-wise and to manage with the energy. So I'm very fond of crockpot meals. I'm very fond of skillet meals. I'm very fond of uh, having big salads with your protein source on the side. So... Um, would you, have you found any difference between the percentage of the diet that's cooked versus raw? You know, my suggestion is that I'm going to talk first about fermented foods. Some great, uh, really interesting research uh, on the microbiome that if we compare having a high fiber diet versus a high fermented foods diet, that we're on high fiber, you change your microbiome. And then when you go back to to your usual diet, the changes in the microbiome disappear. On a high fermented foods diet, that's six servings a day. So that's one and a half cups of sauerkraut or kimchi a day. Or um, Oh, a half a cup is six servings? Uh, a quarter cup is a serving. So a quarter cup is a, a serving. A cup and okay. a half of sauerkraut and kimchi was the equivalent of six servings. That's that's doable. That's very easy. I, I, you know, I can do a, a pint of sauerkraut or kimchi daily. So that's very easy. Uh, so that changes your microbiome. And you do that for six weeks, and then you stop your fermented foods. Unlike w- with the f- high-fiber diet, the change in the microbiome persists. Mm. So we have colonized your gut with new health-promoting bacteria when you have a high-fermented foods diet. So... I, I certainly want people to work towards having a high fermented foods diet because our, our ancestors, when we started fermented food 100,000 years ago, we had a high fermented foods diet. That was a very vital part of human diet for half of our evolutionary history as Homo sapiens. Now, uh, the other question of raw versus cooked, our genus so six million years ago, we separated from the primates. Two million years ago, our genus Homo was established. We we're still eating raw food, raw food, raw food. We started cooking about 100,000 years ago. So that's a pretty new thing that we've been cooking. Uh, about the same amount of time we've been having fermented foods. I, I think uh, there's probably tremendous health benefits for having, in my mind, if you're able to do this, 
a third cooked, a third raw, a third fermented. Okay, that's a nice ratio. Uh, and of course, that's going to fluctuate, you know, by your season and and on any given day. And again, it, it depends if you're vegetarian or a meat eater. You're going to be having to be careful of how you're getting your protein. I'm not advocating raw meat. I'm not advocating raw legumes, no. or raw grains. Uh, those foods have to be cooked. Um, uh, I, I do understand that uh, we have many primitive cultures that had raw meats, but in in today's society, I certainly am not recommending that by, by any means. Well, this has been amazing. I could talk to you all day, but we are at time here. So what I want to do is just finish with... Just tell us a little bit about your trainings and how people can learn more. I know your books are available, but I know that you also yep. have some trainings. So we have several several things. Uh, uh, first, for our practitioners, we have a uh, lovely hybrid online and virtual training uh, that you can do. Uh, and if you learn about that at terrywalls.com forward slash certification. And if you use VIP, uh, then you can save $96 on the application fee. For the public, I have a free five-day challenge that I run periodically uh, throughout the year, and we'll be starting, because I don't know when this airs, uh, but it happens to start next week, but we do it three times a year, so if you miss the April uh, gig, don't worry, we'll be doing it again uh, later this summer. And then we have a online course, the Autoimmune Intervention Mastery Course, that teaches the public these concepts in five modules, uh, lots of lessons, and you get seven weeks of group support calls with me, and we'll be starting, and we start that again several times each year. And finally, for people who really a close relationship, we do have a uh, private practice uh, as well. So this is so amazing to know that you have this kind of service and support available to people and to practitioners. We'll have all of this on the show notes so you can get there several times a year. I know people are going to be listening to this podcast for years to come. So terrywalls.com is going to give you all the information and click on a bunch of the different links and figure out what what's best for you to take this to the next level. Um, I so appreciate you. I so appreciate the work that you do and how you make it simple for people. Uh, so many of us get caught in the rat race of what tests do I need and what supplements do I need? Meanwhile, you know, you can't out supplement a good, a bad diet, right? You can't keep eating M&Ms and say, well, I'm taking my supplements. Why am I not? I'm meditating. Why am I not getting well? So you take it down to that practical practical step. And I think that's what we need to do, not just for autoimmune disease, but for everything that people are coming to us and suffering with. So I always like to ask my guests to like, if you have one thing you want to leave everybody with, one comment, one action, go ahead and share that with us now. In 2007, I could not sit up. I had brain fog as being to have horrific, horrific trigeminal neuralgia. Uh, and one year later, the brain fog was gone. The pain was gone, and I could bike uh, 18.5 miles with my family. And if I can turn around my life from that level of disability, then absolutely there is hope for you and your clients. Ah, that's wonderful. So thank you, everybody, for listening today. We've been talking to Dr. Terry Walls. She is just uh, out there a pioneer in this world of helping people to overcome 
autoimmunity, like multiple sclerosis, is one of the most severe forms, and help them live a good life again. And here's my my take. You got to do the work. So our job as practitioners is to help people to make the decision to do the work. And when you do the work, everything happens. You you know, instead of being stuck in a an incline wheelchair for the rest of your life, you can be out there and enjoying life to its fullest. So the more you guys as practitioners master the art of functional food and using food and lifestyle as the approaches that you teach to people, the easier you're going to have in your practice to get success. The more success you're going to have, the more referrals you're going to have, and the more fulfilling and rewarding and thriving your practice is going to be. So I I encourage you to go visit Dr. Terry Walls at terrywalls.com. And then for us, download the this immune system guide that we've put together for free um, as part of this series on immune system health. And it's at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash immune. So thank you so much for being here. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.